We have a little girl in our family who's three years old. One of her favorite questions to ask is, what day is this? And then when she gets an answer, she says, and what do we do on this day? Now, normally this is fine. She'll say, what day is this? And we'll say, it's Monday. What do we do on this day? And we say, well, you go to childcare and the big kids go to school. Tuesday, swimming lessons. Wednesday, you stay home with mum. And so on. Each day of the week has a different routine. But this week has had some problems. Because she came and said, what day is this? Tuesday. What do we do on Tuesday? Well, normally we go to swimming lessons, but it's Boxing Day and so the pool is closed. And she and her little three-year-old face goes, huh? She hasn't quite got it yet. Or yesterday, she said, what day is this? Saturday. What do we do on Saturday? Well, normally we go to sport. You little girls go to dance classes and the big girls go to soccer or to netball and the boys go to basketball. And she says, oh, that's exciting. I want to go to dancing lessons. We can't, we say. There are no dancing lessons because it's holidays. Holidays, she says. Oh, great. Holidays. I want to go on holidays. Let's go. And so the week between Christmas and New Year has been a bit interesting, a bit different for us. It's been a strange thing. I don't know about you, but when it comes to the New Year, I get, I get confused between the gap between Christmas and New Year's. What day is it? What shops are open? What happens next? It's easy to get it mixed up because everything is a little bit strange. And so I've got some comics this morning to share with you that popped up on my Facebook from friends. This one is of an alien family who do quite ordinary human things, but they say it in alien ways. So one's lying on the couch there and says to his, to his wife, I'm going to become a better being. And the wife says, when? In a few days. Okay. On the day we traditionally become better beings? Yes. Until then, I will mildly debase myself to maximize contrast. Exactly, says the alien. I don't know about you, but over these days, I don't keep to my diet. And I eat silly things, and I'm still making a, making a good go at the Christmas ham. This time of year, yeah, we just sort of eh, let it all go. We'll pick it up again in a few days when the new year starts, when we make our new resolutions. And so here comes another uh, cartoon that popped up for me of Calvin and Hobbes and Calvin the little boy shouting at his tiger resolutions me just what are you implying that I need to change well buddy as far as I'm concerned I'm perfect the way I am does that cover you are you happy with the way you are no plans to make resolutions everything's fine I found that funny as well because unlike Calvin I have a resolution because just like bandit I'm getting fat so this cartoon says, what did you get for Christmas? Fat. I got fat. But time is carrying on. And soon and very soon we'll be in the new year. We'll start to resume our normal cycles and things will carry on. We'll go back to normal time. Go back to whatever it is we do normally. Well, the Jewish people had been trapped in a kind of gap, waiting, waiting waiting for a gap, not between Christmas and New Year's, but waiting in a gap between prophets. Their prophets had told them and told them and told them that the Messiah was coming, and then there were no more prophets. No one spoke. And there's a 400 years of Bible silence until the Messiah comes. The Jewish people had been waiting a long time for their Messiah. They'd been promised a king, a saviour, a rescuer, and a suffering servant. 
They'd been waiting in long expectation for many long centuries. And then, when the time had fully come, God sent his Son. As we read this morning from Galatians chapter 4, or as other translations put it like this, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. So why was that the right time? Why did Jesus come just then and not a century earlier or two centuries earlier or a century later? What was so special about that time, about what we now call the year one, that makes it the right time? Well, Paul does not explain what he means by the fullness of time, but scholars looking back have made some interesting suggestions as to why it was the right time for Jesus to be born, why it was the fullness of time. And one of their first reasons is that they had a common language. There was a common language being shared around that part of the world. The common language was Greek, because Alexander the Great had conquered that part of the world a few hundred years before. He'd gone through from Greece and Macedon and conquered Turkey, what we now call Turkey and all that rest of it, and his generals had ruled over that part of the world. Today we'd call it Greece and Turkey and Egypt and Iraq and Iran and Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Palestine, and almost all the way through in Afghanistan, bits of the bottom of Russia, Turkmenistan and all that bits there. He almost made it to India. But after he died, his generals took over and they ruled this part of the world and Greek became the common language. So people would speak their own language at home, and then they would go out in the marketplace, and if you wanted to be understood, you'd speak Greek. And the language spread from there. Greek became the common language of the Roman Empire. Almost everyone in the Roman Empire spoke Greek. Hardly anyone spoke Latin. A second thing, as the Romans came along and conquered the world, they built roads. The Romans loved to build roads, nice straight roads. Why did they build them straight? So they could march their legions very quickly wherever they were needed. These roads made trade and travel a lot easier. And so people could move about the Roman Empire more effectively. Information and knowledge could spread. And on top of this, about 40 years before the birth of Christ, the Romans had a massive campaign to destroy the pirates that had infested the Mediterranean Sea. If you've ever read the story of the life of Julius Caesar, part of his early life is that he was captured by pirates. And he swore to the pirates, when you let me free, I'll come back and destroy you all. And they all just laughed and laughed. And what did he do? He came back and destroyed them all. And so the Romans wiped out the pirates that had infested the sea. And they succeeded in destroying them, so that by the year one, The sea was as safe as it was going to get. Ships were still risky in those days, but again, there was an increase in trade and travel and the spread of information. And so as we read the New Testament, people jump in boats and sail across the Mediterranean Sea, and they may be in fear of storms, they're not in fear of pirates. And thirdly, political unity and stability under the Roman Empire. When Jesus was born, the Romans had conquered most of that part of the world, from the borders of Scotland to the borders of what is today Iraq and Iran, down into Africa. They'd conquered most of that known world. And the empire would continue to expand eastward into Persia in the coming century, 
But at this point, it's pretty much established. But what's different about the year one and the years before it and just after it is there's great political stability for the first time in centuries. You see, the Romans didn't just fight other people. When they ran out of other people to fight, they fought each other. They had massive civil wars. And again, Julius Caesar and all those crew, they spent their whole lives fighting other Romans. But from about 27 years before Jesus until 14 years after Jesus was born, we have the first Roman emperor, Augustus, called Octavian. He's the nephew of Julius Caesar. And when he, he ruled the empire for that 40 years or so without, without a civil war, without fighting other Romans. And after he died, there would be a peaceful transfer of power to the next emperor. And then after he died, to the next one as well. And so the Romans had something unprecedented in the history of the world, about 100 years of no civil wars. And bang in the middle of that, Jesus is born. Life was still nasty. The Romans were still bullies to the people they'd conquered. But for as far as things went in those days, things were relatively peaceful. And into all of this, of a common shared language that most people in that part of the world could understand, with improved transport systems so people could travel and information could be passed along and news could be communicated, And into this time of political unity and relative stability, at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is as close as Paul gets in his letters to telling what we call the Christmas story. But the story would have been well known to his audience. They would have known of the events of Jesus' birth and the scriptural promises about it. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter 3, from the earliest chapters of the Bible, God promises the snake. Strange thing to do, but God promises a snake. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We see that this is a picture of Jesus is the one crushing the head of Satan, the snake, and the Satan biting his heel. And of course, in Isaiah chapter 7, the great promise of the Messiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. And so Paul says, at the right time God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. See, in this letter, Paul's in the middle of a section explaining to the Galatians, explaining why the old Jewish law is not binding on Christian people. And so he emphasizes that Jesus, the Son of God, was born under the law. He was born as a Jew, and he followed the Jewish law completely. He was a very good boy. He did all this to fulfill the law's commands. Why? Verse 6 says, to redeem those under the law. Jesus was born under the conditions of the Jewish law so he could redeem, he could ransom, he could rescue other people. Earlier in this same letter, Paul talks about being rescued from the curse of the law. Here he talks about being redeemed from the law itself, from any system of attempted self-justification, of attempting to climb an impossible ladder to impress God. Like our gospel stick message from a few weeks ago, 
Christ has come to destroy the idea of that ladder and establish the idea that instead of trying to earn our way into heaven, we should accept the fact that we are God's sons, that we might be the sons of God, be adopted into his family. We spoke a little bit about this in the kids' time, the idea of being adopted into a family. In the, in the first century world into which Jesus is born, and this letter is written, adoption is a big deal because you need to pass your property on to the next generation. And they didn't pass property on through the ladies. I'm apologies, women, they didn't. And so you had to adopt. And if you had no sons of your own, well, you had to adopt a son in. You had to bring someone in so that your property could be passed down for future generations and your name would not be lost. And so adoption was a very serious thing. And adoption wasn't just something that happened to children, it happened to adults. You could pick some bloke at the age of 40 and say, hey, do you want to be my son? And he'd say, sure, we'll do the sure thing, Dad, absolutely, love to. It seems very strange to us. But that was common practice in those days. So they would often adopt their son-in-law. And so their son would be married to their daughter legally. It was very strange, but that's how they used to do it. But here, Paul is saying we can be adopted. We can be received as the sons of God. It's made legal. It's made true. We really are the children of God. Paul says, because you are his sons, because you've been adopted, God has sent. God sent. This is the same word in verse 4 where it said God sent his son. Now he says God sent the spirit of his son. He sends the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, a clue to the reality of the Trinity. The Spirit was promised by Jesus as well as, the, as by the Father. And so in John chapter 14, we read the words of Jesus. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. The Spirit was promised by Jesus. He is Spirit of Jesus as well. It is by the Spirit that Jesus lives in our hearts. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is also the same Spirit that rested on Christ in all his fullness. In John chapter 3, again, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. God has sent the Spirit, the Spirit of his Son. And it's the Spirit, it is by the Spirit, by whom we call out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, is one of the Aramaic words in the New Testament. Aramaic is a different language again. So the Jewish people would have spoken Aramaic in the home, would have been their common language. And then when they went to synagogue, they would have read the Old Testament scriptures in Hebrew because languages change. And so the old Hebrew language of the Old Testament didn't work for their day-to-day life. so They spoke two languages. And then they would have spoke Greek on top of that in space they had to speak to any foreigners. We have people here this morning who speak two or three or four or five languages. Most of us just speak the one. Some of us don't speak it that good. Um, but here, Aramaic, this Aramaic word. And this is the word for dad, for father. It's an intimate name for father. 
Jesus used this name when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we read in Mark chapter 14. Jesus says, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus called his father Abba, Dad. And so it entered into the prayer life of the early church, even when the common language was Greek, something like Daddy or Dad or Papa, a word a small child might call their father, but also a word an adult can use to talk to their father. I was talking to Miss Roz this morning about some different things, about different words for grandfathers and all the rest of it. And you may have a grandfather, but you probably don't call him grandfather. You might call him Pop or Pa or something like that. And you probably have a father in your house, but you probably don't say, Oh, Father, may I play the grand piano? You probably say, Hey, Dad, let's go and play cricket or whatever. There are ways of speaking in an intimate way. Hey, Dad. Hey, Daddy. I know when my kids want something, because when they get to a certain age, they stop calling me Daddy unless they really want something. And when they call me Daddy, I go, What do you want? Hey? The little kids call me Daddy, and that's fine. But eventually they just call me Dad. And that's what Abba is here. Abba, Father, Dad. This amazing idea that we could call the creator of the universe Dad or Pop or Pa or whatever it is in your language or in your home. That intimate word you use for your father is the same word you can use for the God who created the universe. And so Paul says this is evidence that we have the Spirit of God in our hearts. We no longer think of God as distant and terrifying, a beard in the sky. But we think of him as Abba, our Father. Yes, he's powerful and majestic, but he's also caring and loving and concerned about us as individuals. Paul goes on and writes, so you are no longer a slave. You are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. An heir, someone who will inherit all things because the God who made the universe will pass it all on to his heirs. And even better news, he doesn't have to die to do that. He'll pass it on to all of us as part of his great family. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants or slaves because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You are no longer a servant. You are no longer a slave. You're God's child. You're the friend of Jesus. And in fact, we are Jesus' brothers and sisters. And if that doesn't amaze you, you're not paying attention. Are there any questions this morning before I come to my conclusion? About anything I've spoken about this morning or over the last few weeks? For those visiting with us, I'd like to stop and see if there are questions in case I've said something that confused or upset or you'd like to know more about. I don't see any hands. My number's there, my email address is there. I'm not on holidays, but, you know, happy to talk to you about these things if you'd like to make time. We spoke on Christmas Day about the great gifts that God has given. We often talk about the great gift of Jesus, his son. And yes, that's true. Jesus is the gift of God. He is the one that God has given. 
that no one would perish but all have eternal life. We talk about the gift of eternal life that Jesus brings. But we said on Christmas Day that throughout the New Testament, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that is most mentioned in that way. The gift that is most mentioned, the gift of God, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit active in our hearts that reminds us of God's promises, draws us into closer communion with the Father and with each other, and transforms us more and more into the likeness of his Son. So my question to you this morning is, do you know him in there? Do you have him in your heart? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and drawing you closer to him, drawing you closer to the likeness of Christ? At this time of year, as we make our resolutions and make our plans and think about what's going to happen next, I pray that our resolution would be first and foremost to hear the voice of God, know the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. He is the one by whom we can communicate with God. He is the one who tells us what Jesus is really like. And so the song I've chosen this morning to reflect on is an old chorus. It says, move, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Move, Holy Spirit, make me like Christ. It's a simple refrain, but it's an invitation to ask God's Holy Spirit to come into your life speak in your heart, to change the way you live, to change your mind, to change your heart, and bring you closer to the likeness of Jesus. Very simple chorus, it goes like this, join in if you know. Move Holy Spirit, move in my life, move Holy Spirit, Make me like Christ. Move, move, move in my life. Move, move to make me like Christ. Move, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Spirit, make me like Christ. We'll sing it again in just a moment, but I want to encourage you over these lazy summer days, the gap between Christmas and New Year's, and there's still holidays to come, and there's less pressure, and they don't need to be rushing around so much. Make time. Make time to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Make time to read the words of Jesus. Make time to listen for what God wants for your 2024. He has plans for you. He wants to share them with you. Make the time to listen to him. Let's sing it again. And as we sing, let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and minds today. Move, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Move, Holy Spirit, make me like Christ. Move, move, move in my life. 
by Christ, move, Holy Spirit, move in my life, move, Holy Spirit, make me like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for well, all the good things you have given to us. We thank you for this time of peace and joy that we share in this nation. Father God, we acknowledge that you are the great and high and holy King. Father God, we thank you that at just the right time, at just the right moment in history, Jesus came into this world. You sent your Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us. Thank you, Father God, that you pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts so we can know your will and way. Heavenly Father, as we make plans and dreams and think of what happens next year, Father, help us to listen for your voice. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us holy people. Make us people who look and walk and talk and act like Jesus. Father God, help us to hear your plans for the rest of this year and the rest of next year and all the years that come after. Father God, guide and direct us. By your Holy Spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite the worship group to come back to the stage and we'll make our final song this morning by remind you of who we are and what we're about. We want people to meet Jesus. And so we want to grow to be like Jesus. We want to be holy people filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to love the way Jesus loves. We want to share his message about the kingdom of God. We want people to meet Jesus. And whatever else you've got planned for 2024, please put in your calendars. Term 2, after Easter, we'll be running our Alpha course here at the church. An Alpha course is a way of introducing people to Jesus, to hearing the good news. And so this is your opportunity to invite family and friends, people you meet down the street and weirdos at work, whoever you want to invite to come and meet Jesus as part of our Alpha course. Put that in your diary now. Okay? It'll be running. Term two. Planning to run it Tuesday mornings, Wednesday nights, and Friday nights. So we're running three courses because not everyone can make it in the morning, not everyone can make it at night. We're going to run it three times a week through those courses, through that term. This is a great opportunity to share the gospel with others. So make it your New Year's resolution to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to invite someone to our Alpha course. God bless you, each one.